This is Abraham. And Ryan O. So welcome to Why We Do What We Do. Your favorite consumable psychology podcast. And this is our third installment, I think, of our, our, our creepy, or fourth installment maybe, of our creepy Halloween October-themed episodes. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> and so for this one, we chose to... Well, you know, actually, I don't want to give it away. I want to lead into this nicely, okay? Even though people probably saw the title, maybe even read the notes <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> but in case you didn't, and this just sort of came on, I want to lead into this. Cool? Let's go. All right, Ryan. How well do you feel like you normally sleep? I, it's totally up to whether or not I, I purposely go to bed on the, uh, at the right time. So if I have a good, I would say sleep hygiene, sort of like self-management routine, then I can sleep well. Okay. No complaints, but I often choose to like get up earlier than I should and things like that. And so I know this about you. Yep. It goes to crap if I choose to do those sort of things. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? I usually sleep like the dead. I usually have no trouble sleeping whatsoever. And part of that, I think, is that if I wake up, I don't, that doesn't really bother me. I'll just like do something. If I don't fall asleep pretty quickly, I'll work on something until I do. Yeah. And if I can't, then I'll just be awake and then I'll sleep really well the next night. There was a stretch just like a few weeks ago where for about 10 or 11 days in a row, I was getting maybe five hours of sleep a night. I just wasn't sleeping very much. And I don't know what happened exactly, but at one night after that stretch it would just i crashed and slept for eight and a half hours like a sunday night going into monday mm -hmm. and woke up and it was the very first time i think this has ever happened that my sleep tracker told me you have 100 percent quality sleep last night <laughs> i was like i feel like it I feel great yeah <laughs> yeah i used to do that too like uh especially in graduate school just stay up and like crush out as many hours and all of a sudden you need to do and like being productive and then all of a sudden you just like fall over and sleep for 12 hours <laughs> yeah exactly have you ever woken up with the feeling that there's someone or something in your room or in your house that was sinister and also felt like you were unable to move at all that has never happened to me no has that ever happened to you or someone you know so i have talked to people that it happens to for me i remember distinctly like three times in my life not successively like at different periods where i woke up one was in graduate school one was as middle school and one was as an elementary age and i just remember waking up and like i felt like i was fully awake ready to go but i could not move my body hmm. and it like freaked me out when i was little yeah that'll do it <laughs> it wasn't as scary i guess in graduate school and i started learning about things a little bit more yeah but you still for the first like five or ten seconds you're like what the hell's going on yeah it's entirely possible that there are points in my life when i did have that experience but i don't recall them immediately which is actually part of it we'll get to that yeah but because it's just not that uncommon and i wouldn't be surprised if it had happened to me especially given some of my sleep practices and yeah. how poor they can be at times mine seemed to be like completely random nothing to do with when i was sleeping i don't know i, I can't recall i didn't okay. like, record things i didn't but like I had horrible sleep hygiene for like two years of graduate school and it was like one time during then, right? Got it. So it didn't seem to be like correlated with anything super bad when it comes to my regimen. Well, let's go back about 4,000 years ago to ancient Mesopotamia. There was a folk wisdom of an experience during which as you slept, you would feel yourself being awake 
but unable to move. And you would have this sense of there being a presence in the room and often a sense that that presence was holding you in place. And specifically, it was described as if you were being sat on. And so this was explained as a demon sitting on your chest that included this feeling and gave you these bad dreams. It was called an incubus, not the band, (laughs) uh, which comes from Latin and means to sit on. The term later evolved into nightmare, which is hyphenated here, night dash mare, right? Which actually is a night term meaning night crusher, basically night incubus. And this is where the term nightmare comes from. So the man incubus is essentially a demon sitting on your chest, giving you bad dreams. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, (laughs) I like incubus, but, (laughs) but that is what their name would imply. (laughs) Right. Seen as an affliction, the solution to experiencing this often involved bloodletting. One thing also potentially involved shaving your head for some reason. Other treatments have included prayer and exorcism. Interestingly, the experience of the thing seems to be individualized and contemporary to the culture of the person experiencing it, or their experience of it is contemporary to the culture in which they live. So as the culture has evolved and changed, new descriptions of what this feels like has included the ideas of a witch or like an old hag that is paralyzing you and causing bad dreams and being an evil presence in the room. And then later as time went on and our culture changed, it was a feeling of being abducted by aliens. So, you know, when we get into the mid 20th century, the idea of witches wasn't very common. A lot of people didn't believe in that anymore, but the idea of aliens was becoming more popular. And so that was a lot more relevant to people who are going to experience this. So there definitely is something about the cultural expectations that a person has that seem to affect their interpretation of waking up with this feeling of being stuck and there being an evil presence in the room. So when investigating reports of alien abductions, these were often people who were experiencing sleep paralysis in many of those cases. Super interesting. That's a pretty hot topic in other podcasts right now. I don't know. It was literally the day before we recorded this, Joe Rogan came out with another piece. Yeah. Which is always like 10 or 12 million views guaranteed, specifically looking at UFOs and these sort of things. So... Other common experiences that people have is feeling that a burglar or other human predator has broken into their house and is watching them sleep. That sounds terrifying. Right. This is not to say that this hasn't happened, but some people have this experience that is actually a kind of nightmare. Yeah, obviously people do break into other people's houses sometimes and you'll get this experience of waking up and there's someone's legitimately in your house and there is a terrifying experience where you wake up with the sense that there's someone in your house but you can't move and you can't see them yeah different kind of terror to feel maybe all right so sleep paralysis that's our topic for today yeah and so what we're talking about here is a condition that some estimate 40 to 50 percent of people experience at one point or another in their lives It's called sleep paralysis, and it is when we experience a sense of wakefulness but are unable to move, and it is accompanied by a sense of terror or dread. Yeah, now anything that's something that abnormal that disrupts a normal sleep cycle would fall into this category of something called a parasomnia, and there are lots of them to unpack, and we could just talk about parasomnias in general, but this one's relevant 
thinking about the whole idea of there being demons sitting on your chest and holding you in place or witches controlling you, that sort of thing. Now, it's important, I think, to talk about the process of sleep because this is very relevant to understanding how sleep paralysis actually works. So when we're sleeping, our brains actually paralyze our muscles for periods of our sleep, such as when we are in what's called REM or rapid eye movement sleep, which is often when we dream. It's not totally clear. What I was reading was that there is the GABA neurotransmitter is being released and that is what paralyzes our muscles. Presumably, this is so that we don't act out our dreams or otherwise flail about and hurt ourselves or others while we're dreaming. Or even maybe like so we don't ruin the quality of our sleep as well. Yeah, because you'd be frequently waking up during your sleep cycles. Sleep cycles are about 90 minutes long. But yeah, if you're flailing about or getting up or doing those things, you might wake yourself up. That disrupts normal sleep. You're not going to get as much sleep. So it's useful to be paralyzed. You can imagine that is important that this paralysis happens during the correct time in the stages of our sleep. Because if it doesn't, then you might have weird effects. So if one is experiencing sleep paralysis, it tends to occur that idea of our body being paralyzed, it tends to occur a little out of sequence with the sleep stage that we're in as opposed to when it's supposed to occur. So when we're falling asleep and the stage of the sleep is called hypnagogic or pre-dormital sleep, or when we're waking up, which is called hypnopompic or post-dormital sleep, it's just the the sciency names for those stages of sleep. And we're in that in-between state of being asleep and being awake, but our bodies are paralyzed because it's a little out of sync in that way. And this is a normal process during the sleep. You know, we should be paralyzed. So when we're in that transition stage, we're not totally lucid about our surroundings. So we don't tend to notice because our brains are not working in such a way that we would notice those things. Incidentally, this is why we are so horrifically bad at tracking how much time we actually spend sleeping because we don't count record this data very well or at all. (laughs) Right. And so while we are sleeping, we often hallucinate during these times and we think we have a sense of the time when we actually don't. Right. And so actually it's, it's very much like being aware of your surroundings in a way, but you're actually still dreaming kind (laughs) of. Okay. And so because we're paralyzed at the wrong time, there is a sense of being oppressed. And then we basically, We sort of fill in the blank with whatever threat is the most relevant to us in that moment that could account for how it is we're being held in place. And this is going to be especially robust, that feeling of of terror and dread and being oppressed if you are already having a bad dream when you begin to stir into that wakefulness or as you begin to fall asleep into those stages because again that's where this is most likely to occur and so we've sort of described what this is like but let's actually do an exercise to illuminate why this can feel so terrifying to people so if you're in a safe place to do so i'm going to invite you to close your eyes and if not you can just listen and imagine how you'd feel like please don't close your eyes if you're driving or doing anything (laughs) handling heavy machinery or anything unsafe we are not responsible for for anything that has to happen with you closing your eyes right now exactly so If you can, I'm going to walk through this. I just want to create a narrative of what it might be like if you're experiencing this, if you haven't experienced this before, or even if you just forgot, or even if you have experienced and you're willing to listen, then I invite you to participate in this next part. Okay. Let's go. Thank you. So let's say you were having a dream in which you were being chased in your home. You're not sure by what necessarily, but something was definitely trying to get you and you have the sense that it was trying to cause you harm. All of a sudden you feel yourself lurch to wakefulness and you begin to take in the dark room around you. 
the fear of the dream is still lingering a little bit, you immediately want to move to check that your surroundings are safe. However, you find that you can't move. Not a muscle in your body will follow your command. Is it even still your body? You don't even have a sense of being able to move, as if some invisible force is holding your entire body stuck in whatever position you're sleeping in. Your vision is impeded by the dark, but you feel a sense of motion just out of the corner of your eye. It's dark, and it's just out of sight. You know that there is no reason for anyone to be there, so the only logical conclusion is that someone, or something, that shouldn't be there, and therefore you can only guess at its intentions. Why is it watching you? Why is it hiding out of your sight? Why is it holding you down? Why is it dark? The thing, whatever it is, the person, why is it dark in color? What is it waiting for? Another flutter of movement and you can almost glimpse the object, but once again it slips out of view, nearly formless and obscured by the darkness. Why is no one helping you? Why can't you call out? The end is near. <laughs> So your, your example here, the description all the way up until when you start asking the questions is like spot on as to what I remember exactly of just like, not that I felt like something was in the room or like it was somebody, but I remember like wanting to call out for some help. I'm just like, I wasn't sure what was going on when I was little Yeah, and I couldn't. And that was the most freaky part to me. Right. Is this your body still? I was like, am I dreaming or not? I'm pretty sure I'm awake. I remember my heart rate increasing, but like I couldn't do anything about it. Right. And then next thing I know, I just, I woke up and I was like, that was scary. Yeah. But I had basically like re-fallen back asleep and then woke up and remembered like some crazy thing happened. <laughs> yeah. Certain elements of this are not going to be what everybody experiences, but yeah, having essentially sleep paralysis is just that you are starting to wake up or fall asleep and you feel paralyzed because yeah. technically you are yeah. um, and un unable to move. And that is the experience of just trying to create that of what it can be like. You're obviously in the dark, you're not totally lucid and you can sort of sense the room around you, but you just, you can't move or do anything. You can't even make, you can't control your mouth to say anything. And it's just like that feeling of being so helplessly oppressed is something that would be so difficult to experience without feeling that fear. And then so immediately what comes along with that is that sense of fear. And we'll talk a bit more about what is hypothesized in terms of where that fear comes from. But a question that a lot of people often have is what does it mean to have sleep paralysis? Meaning that specifically they're inquiring is this, is the fact that one is having sleep paralysis a product of having some psychological trauma or having other mental health issues? And so the quick answer is no. Right. So besides distressing, sleep paralysis is generally harmless. It will not result in any lasting psychological trauma, uh, will not cause you physical harm, and it will not ruin your sleep. Mostly it is just uncomfortable and frightening, but temporary. Yeah, many attribute the sense of fear, not to the context, but to the activation of the amygdala. So I imagine that like all things involving the brain, really both are necessary, that the context you're in creates a situation in which the amygdala is activated, which produces a sense of fear, depending on our orientation to that experience. And I think that's, for me at least, part of the reason I don't remember a lot of this is I think that my interpretation of the context, if it were to occur to me, wasn't one where I experienced a heightened sense of fear, that maybe it was just confusion. And that just wasn't a lasting 
emotional experience for me to remember it very well. So are there people who experience sleep paralysis but feel no fear and therefore don't report it is another question we get asked. And one self-report survey found that people who are, quote, analytical thinkers tend to experience sleep paralysis or at least the fear from it less than those who are not. So mostly, I don't know, but probably at least that is true for some. Right. And again, I was just reporting on the fact that it's possible that I've experienced it and I just don't remember. But yes, there seems to be, albeit self-report data, so who knows how really accurate that is, some amount of people who experience sleep paralysis but don't necessarily experience the fear that goes with it. So who knows how much of it that they remember. All right. So let's talk causes. It seems like it's not entirely known, but there are several factors they're somewhat reliably linked to the experience of sleep paralysis. Let's go through some of those, Aram. Yeah, one of them is just generally lack of sleep. If you're not getting enough sleep at night on a regular basis, that's one that is a contributing factor to potentially experiencing sleep paralysis. Another sleep schedule changes, hop in time zones, those sort of things can trigger it. Right. Experiencing stress or other mental health disorders, for example, they identified specifically that people who have manic depressive or bipolar disorder are more likely to report experiencing sleep paralysis. Sleeping on your back is another? Are you a back sleeper? No, I used to be, but now I only sleep on my stomach. Other parasomnias or sleep problems that you might have, the one that I saw frequently described as one of the causes with respect to other parasomnias was people who have narcolepsy, just suddenly falling asleep. Some medications such as stimulants can increase the chances of this as well. Yes, people who suffer maybe from substance abuse and addiction are more likely to report experiencing this, the people who use a lot of drugs, even prescription. Your family history, so your genetic component comes into this as well. I'd mentioned to you before, Abraham, I just signed up for 23andMe. I have no clue if they get into areas like this, but I'm actually super interested to start learning about the potential predispositions of my genes based on this giant bank. Do you know if anyone else in your family has reported experiencing sleep paralysis? I don't, but I can ask them. I'm actually interested now. I wish I had that. Yeah, I think I'm going to do the same. Another one is how intelligent one is. It tends to be related to sleep paralysis. I didn't see whether it was if you were more likely to be of more intelligent or less intelligent, if that was likely to result in this. It just said intelligence is a factor. So whatever that might mean. And it sounds like personality also falls under that too. Yes. And then the last one, and this is, I got a lot of these from a specific paper that I, I'll put in the show notes for this one, but there was something called anomalous beliefs that was associated more with the experience of at least reporting sleep paralysis. And anomalous beliefs referred to people who they kind of described as doing magical thinking, which is believing in supernatural things. So people who are already more likely to believe in the supernatural and things like ghosts and astrology and fairies and I don't know, magic and <laughs> the moon cycles causing things. Obviously the moon's real, but <laughs> you know, just yeah. believing in supernatural things, those people are more likely also to experience and at least report sleep paralysis. And again, these are it's hard to get really clear data on these. You have the bias of the fact that the people who are reporting this what kind of profile is it of the person who's likely to report this in the first place? And are you missing out on a sample of people who just don't, you know? And I think people who already believe in things like witches and conspiracy theories and stuff, I think they like to have an audience anyway. 
And so looking for opportunities to share experiences that they have, especially ones that confirm their beliefs in supernatural is something I think they're more likely to do. And I, again, think that that would then potentially overrepresent that population of people. And maybe not. It could be that those are people who are more likely to experience this. It's hard to say, but that's just one factor that might contribute to why that shows up. All right. So the question then is, if this is happening to you, we have an idea of what it is and the causes. What can you do for treatment? And there is no direct treatment for sleep paralysis, which makes sense as it seems to be largely a symptom of other underlying conditions. But that's also not super nice to hear right <laughs> yeah there's not like a pill or a therapy that you can go to that's going to directly enable you to take control over your experience of sleep paralysis if you are having that issue now that being said because we do know what some of the contributing factors are addressing some of those factors that seem to be causing sleep paralysis in the first place has been effective for some people so for instance getting enough sleep, generally improving your sleep hygiene, treating the sleep disorder if you have one, getting help for mental health problems. As we mentioned, manic, depressive, bipolar is associated with this. Now, I saw bipolar on there, but I think the current PC term is manic, depressive. So I hope I'm saying that correctly. I just said them both to cover my bases, but... Yeah, I'm not sure myself. Yeah. And then for some antidepressants for people who need mental health support, those are things that can all help regulate sleep a little better and therefore they're more likely to mitigate the experience of this thing of sleep paralysis. One other thing is you can try different sleep positions. That's a cheap, easy one to do is see if you can sleep and just if you're sleeping on your back, try sleeping on your side or on your stomach or splayed out like a starfish, maybe whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever your preference is. Whatever works for you, <laughs> whatever you're into. Yeah. And then the other one was the fact that if stress is something that is a contributing factor to sleep paralysis is trying to avoid stress specifically before going to bed. I think that that advice is one that I've heard before and it doesn't, I don't fully understand why you would give that advice because my thought on this is aren't people already generally trying to avoid stress? Yeah. Right. So and not to mention like, that is also something we've talked about on this podcast with like our episode with Steve Hayes or Jonathan Tarpox. Like that's something that's hard to actually do correctly. Learning how to pivot away from those thoughts of stress or whatnot. You can't simply just like say to yourself, like I'm done paying attention to stress. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's all gone now. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're always trying to do it, but it's also like there's a, uh, it's not simply saying I'm not going to pay attention to those things either. So if you're interested in learning more about those, dive into those past episodes that we've done. They're, they're pretty fantastic. Agreed. Share it with everybody you know. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Is it time to wrap this up? Bring it home? Yeah. I mean, this is going to turn out to have been a fairly short one. Unfortunately, there's not a lot to know about the way that this works is just so specific to different people. And we could, you know, we could dig into a lot of specific studies, but what's kind of nice about in just researching this topic is that it's fairly straightforward in what it is, which is that sense of being paralyzed. You know, one thing that we didn't mention when we talked about this a little bit is that with respect to how this fear is caused comes from at least in part, the fact that you feel like you're being 
held in place, that you can't move. And being forced to be stuck in place, especially when this is not something you've consented to, this is not something that you've chosen, this is not something you even anticipated was going to happen, that is something that is very terrifying. I think most animals, when all of a sudden held in place, are going to fight to try and get out of it as much as possible. And it is, I think, very reasonable to expect from an evolutionary perspective that escaping from being trapped is something we are highly motivated to do. And so, you know, there would be a long evolutionary history where not being trapped is something that we, I guess value is kind of a word, but you know, it's, it's something we will specifically seek that is to avoid being totally trapped in these situations. And when it comes out of nowhere, like, so it's not even necessarily that you are having a bad dream. It's not necessarily that your amygdala is all fired up, but it's the fact that you wake up in a context where you can't see what's happening and you can't move and you're not also totally awake. So what's the thing that makes the most sense to you in that moment? And you're just not, I mean, you're not like consciously going through the motions or, or like thinking through the scenarios, but you are automatically reacting to the context of that situation it's dark i can't move like what is going on right now and that can create that sense of there's someone here because why else wouldn't you be able to move and that sense of fear which is that there's someone here and i can't move and so a lot of those things are just brought about by that context i can imagine that you could specifically test this by setting up a situation in which if you know what stages of sleep someone's in and as soon as they're going into or coming out of sleep, then you can, you know, gently illuminate the room, have people there who are like very kind and like you can see them right in front of you. Like, I wonder if that would affect someone's experience of reporting sleep paralysis. Like you could yeah. see that they were paralyzed, but you also created a situation where you took away all the fearful elements of it and see if they still reported experiencing fear. Or if that paralyzed effect starts to have the opposite intended effect what you just described and it actually like conditions a further fear response with the people that are in the room oh yeah that were once like neutral or right <laughs> you have your significant other there and you're like can't move and they're like oh god they're gonna kill me yeah yeah well yeah and i wasn't going that far but like for me my hunch which would be fun to research would be like is it the fact that you can't move is that kind of the underlying thing that's inducing that fear response, right? Right. If you think about it, you're in such a, you're, you have such a long history of when you move in quote intended ways, like that reinforcement for doing such follows, right? So I feel like that being disrupted might be one of the really critical behavioral patterns here that's inducing that fear response. When you're so used to being able to control your own body. Yeah. When that is taken away all of a sudden, that is going to be a very jarring experience. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost out of this world jarring because you, you have yeah. such a one-on-one -on -one correlation with that your entire life, right? Yeah. It's like any one of those things where you see something that's so vastly different from what you're used to seeing or whatever, hearing something, experiencing something. It's like alien-like, right? <laughs> In a sense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that it's it it becomes it's so foreign and bizarre that your only relation to it is like confusion and fear. Yeah, it's super fascinating. It's a great point. I like it. Yeah, if anybody's up for sharing their experiences, we we love to learn more about these sort of things. And especially if you have any other information that we did not include in the show notes, 
about it, please send it our way. Yeah, we'd love to learn more about it and also share, if you're willing to share with our audience, what you have experienced or what you know about sleep paralysis. Yeah, I mean, I think that more or less covers it up. This is, you know, largely attributable to external factors. And there are potentially some genetics involved. It does more often than not run in families, but that's not 100%. It just could be a contributing factor. And then you have things like stress and sleep hygiene issues, substance abuse, medications, that sort of thing. All right, cool. I will throw in a quick plug. We are doing a listener survey, trying to get to know everybody better that consumes this sort of podcast. So if you could please just give us like, I know it's a lot to ask, but like five minutes to go click, fill out, tell us what your favorite episode was. Just give us some information like that. We are doing a giveaway. I don't know if I told you this, Abraham, but we're going to print up some shirts and send them out to a few different folks that are selected. So if you contribute to that, we will be doing that. And it just helps us get a better idea of who you are, who we're tailoring this stuff to, as well as if you want to influence, there is a section there where you can suggest topics or speakers to have on. So please go check that out. I love the idea of the giveaway. And how about we do this as sort of like a raffle. So if you do this, then your name, if you do the survey for us, your name will get entered into a drawing Mm -hmm. for uh, getting a free shirt. Yes. And that's exactly how I set it up. So you drop your email address in there. We're not sharing that with anybody, things like that. We're just using it for the raffle sake. Yes. This is all just for us. We'd like to make the show be as tailored as possible to the people who want to hear it. And just having that, the feedback that everyone's willing to provide really helps us make this show the best that it can be so please do that you could win a free shirt which makes everything worth it (laughs) who doesn't love a free shirt right okay anything else abraham yeah i got a quick shout out to our audio producer i've said this a few times now i just want to uh, continue to express my gratitude and appreciation for the fantastic work that our new editor justin greenhouse has done on the sound engineering portion of this it has just never sounded better and we really appreciate it justin thank you and what up much appreciation. I edit some video and I know just how hard it is to to really dial these things in. So I appreciate it. Cool. All right. So I think that's all we got for today. Unless you have anything else. That's it. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support our show, please head over to Patreon or share us with a friend. Furthermore, you can lead us a rating and a review wherever you listen to rating or a review. I'll put it that way because you can do both. <laughs> and it, just a rating is great. But wherever you listen to this really helps it show up so that other people are likely to find it. So we really appreciate that. And if you have anything to say about sleep paralysis or anything else that we've ever talked about or anything else that you'd like us to talk about, then please email us or reach out to us on social media. And we are very very happy to hear that feedback. All right. That's it. Perfect. This is Ryan O. And this is Abraham. We're out. Bye. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.